0: Imagine you decide to do a DNA test one day, and suddenly find out that you have an entire extended family who you never knew about. Besides your DNA, you realize there are striking similarities between all of you, like similar eye shape and hair color. Well, in 2003, a number of diseases that were previously thought to be unrelated were finally reclassified as one distinct disease entity. This systemic disease is called immunoglobulin G4, or IgG4-related disease. IgG4-related disease comprises conditions such as IgG4 type 1 autoimmune pancreatitis, sclerosing cholangitis, and even Riddell's thyroiditis. Today, our patient has IgG4 disease, and you are the doctor. Welcome to The Internet Work, a podcast made by medical residents meant to serve you better on the wards and on call. Today's episode is titled, Don't Ignore IgG4, An Approach to IgG4-Related Disease. Time for our minute physiology. IgG4-related disease is a multi-organ immune-mediated disease, with B cells and T cells thought to be both playing a role in the formation of lymphoplasmacytic infiltrations in affected tissues. Although the pathogenesis of IgG4-related disease is still under investigation, it is proposed that CD4-positive cytotoxic T-cells play a main role and are supported by antigen-presenting B-cells, particularly plasma blasts. Cytotoxic T-cells produce inflammatory mediators that are believed to contribute to the characteristic fibrosis seen in IgG4-related disease. B-cells have also been shown to contribute directly to tissue fibrosis, and the number of plasma blasts has been shown to correlate with the number of organs affected, as well as disease activity. The role of B cells in IgG4-related disease is supported by the fact that B cell-targeted therapy, for example rituximab, leads to clinical improvement and decline in circulating plasma blasts. However, other B cell subpopulations have not been fully studied. Regarding the role of IgG4, although serum IgG4 levels tend to be elevated, the presence of IGG-4 antibodies themselves do not seem to be pathogenic. Alright, so now that we've talked about the basic physiology, let's talk about the approach. IGG-4 related disease is characterized by infiltration of affected organs or tissues by IGG-4 positive plasma cells. Tissues that are typically affected include the pancreas, salivary glands, bile ducts, orbits, kidney, lung, aorta, retroperitoneum, pachymeninges, and thyroid gland. Since IgG4-related disease can involve nearly any tissue in the body and may present similarly to infection, malignancy, or other autoimmune conditions, a thorough review of a patient's history, physical exam, and investigations is key to diagnosis. As with any patient encounter, the first step would be to ensure the patient is stable by checking their vitals, airway, breathing, circulation, and GCS. Since patients with IgG4-related disease often present with subacute to chronic symptoms, an unstable or acutely decompensated patient should lower your index of suspicion for the disease. On history, patients generally present with a mass or enlargement of an affected organ. Look for slowly evolving symptoms over months to years as the typical presentation is chronic but may present subacutely. Patients may have weight loss related to exocrine pancreas insufficiency, lymphadenopathy, and fatigue. Fever greater than 38 degrees Celsius is very rare and essentially rules out IgG4-related disease. More specific symptoms are related to the various clinical manifestations of IgG4-related disease, the most common being type one IgG4-related autoimmune pancreatitis, AIP, sclerosing cholangitis, orbital pseudotumors, salivary gland disease, and retroperitoneal fibrosis. For example, in type 1 AIP and sclerosing cholangitis, patients can present with painless jaundice, Sica symptoms like dry eyes and dry mouth are common, as are allergy symptoms, including allergic rhinitis seen in up to 40% of patients. Back or flank pain can be present in those with IgG4-related retroperitoneal fibrosis and aortitis. Of note, arthralgias and arthritis are not common. On physical exam, patients typically appear well, though their weight should be documented to assess for weight loss. On head and neck exam, look at the eyes for swelling, proptosis, and sclerolicteris. Palpate the head and neck for any salivary gland swelling, lymphadenopathy, and thyroid gland enlargement. On cardiovascular and respiratory exam, auscultate for rubs in the case of pericarditis or pleuritis, and listen for wheeze or crackles as it can infiltrate upper and lower airways and also cause interstitial pneumonitis or fibrosis. On gastrointestinal exam, assess for abdominal tenderness and bruise which may be present in aortitis. On neurologic exam, check for any focal neurological deficits or cranial nerve palsy because though rare, IgG4-related hypertrophic pachymeningitis can occur. Differential diagnoses can be divided into autoimmune conditions such as Sjogren's disease, ankylvasculitis, sarcoidosis, malignancies such as adenocarcinoma and squamous cell carcinoma, lymphoma, and lymphoproliferative disease, and other conditions like primary sclerosing cholangitis, inflammatory bowel disease, and Castleman's disease. Okay, what about our workup? There is no single blood test that can diagnose IgG4-related disease, but rather the combination of various investigations that can increase the likelihood of diagnosis or rule out other conditions. Since IgG4-related disease can essentially involve any organ, a full workup should be performed, including a CBC and differential to look for eosinophilia, creatinine and urea for renal failure, urinalysis for proteinuria in the case of membranous nephropathy, and white blood cells and casts for tubulo-interstitial nephritis, amylase, lipase, bilirubin, and alkaline phosphatase for pancreatic or biliary involvement, and CRP or ESR, which can be elevated. Then, as the name implies... Serum IgG4 levels should also be measured, which are typically high, though many patients can actually have normal levels. Other helpful laboratory tests include elevations in other IgG subclasses, such as IgG1 and IgE, peripheral blood flow cytometry for plasma blasts, and hypocomplementemia with low C3 and C4. Depending on the organs involved, serology for connective tissue disease or vasculitis should be performed. In terms of imaging, a chest x-ray can be ordered to look for pulmonary involvement, including findings of adenopathy, opacities, nodules, and fibrosis. Classic radiologic findings on CT abdomen include sausage-shaped pancreas, retroperitoneal fibrosis, and periaurotitis involving the infrarenal aorta. PET scans can also be performed to assess the extent of disease. Diagnosis should be confirmed when possible with biopsy of an affected organ with the classic histopathology findings being dense lymphocytic infiltrate of mainly IgG4-positive plasma cells and storiform fibrosis. Many patients may also have obliterative phlebitis and tissue eosinophilia. Now let's talk about treatment. The overall treatment goals in IgG4-related disease are to 1. Induce disease remission, 2. Prevent relapse, and 3. Preserve organ function. When considering treatment, it is important to first decide who needs to be treated by performing a pre-treatment evaluation. Therapy is recommended for all patients with symptomatic active disease or asymptomatic progressive disease as demonstrated on laboratory or radiologic investigations. In patients with highly fibrotic, burnt-out disease, pharmacologic therapies may not lead to response and the risk or benefit of treatment can be discussed with the patient. Initial therapy for remission induction is oral prednisone monotherapy typically at 0.5 to 1 mg per kilogram per day for 2 to 4 weeks, followed by a gradual taper down to discontinuation by 5 mg every 1 to 2 weeks, depending on clinical response. Responders will typically show improvement in symptoms and organ function, decreases in mass or organ size, and decreases in serum IgG4 concentrations. In patients with active progressing disease who do not respond to initial glucocorticoid therapy, the diagnosis of IgG4-related disease should be questioned. Patients are usually maintained on low-dose prednisone to prevent relapses, but the optimal duration is unknown. If there is incomplete response to glucocorticoid or inability to taper the glucocorticoids, combination therapy with conventional steroid-sparing agents such as azathioprine, mycophenolate mofetil, and methotrexate should be considered, though the data on the use of these therapies in IgG4-related disease is limited. In some cases, it may be appropriate to start combination therapy initially. For relapsing severe disease or failure of conventional steroid-sparing agents, B-cell targeted therapy with rituximab, which is an anti-CD20 monoclonal antibody, can be considered. The usual dose is one gram intravenously every 15 days for a total of two doses. Patients usually respond very well to rituximab, as B-cell depletion leads to rapid targeted decrease in serum IgG4 concentrations. Some patients may require surgical intervention such as stenting in those with ureteral obstruction, obstructive jaundice, and aortic aneurysms. In terms of prognosis, IgG4-related disease is generally a slowly progressive disease. If left untreated, however, the disease can lead to extensive organ fibrosis. Although most patients respond well to initial glucocorticoid therapy, relapses are common when therapy is discontinued. We'll finish with our medicine minute. Did you know classification criteria for IgG 4 disease was recently developed in 2019 by the American College of Rheumatology and the European League Against Rheumatism? This set of classification criteria is unique in that it focuses on a combination of clinical, serologic, radiologic, and pathologic findings to classify IgG 4 related disease. Thus, a confirmative biopsy or elevations in serum IgG 4 levels are not necessarily required to classify a patient as having the disease but rather the combination of multiple factors, including ruling out other conditions that can mimic IgG4 disease, are required. It is important to note that classification criteria are for research purposes only, although they can provide some guidance in the clinical setting. That's all for today. Thank you for listening to today's episode entitled Don't Ignore IgG4, an Approach to IgG4-Related Disease. This episode was written by Dr. Chelsea Chang, internal medicine resident, and reviewed by Dr. Lillian Barra, rheumatologist, and Dr. Rasha Abdulkarim, general internist. The internet work series is created by Allison Lai and developed by Zara Morali and Leia Karianopoulos. This episode is recorded and produced by Leia Karianopoulos. Theme music by Lakshmi Desanthamohan. If you like this episode, please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to check out www.theinternetwork.com for associated resources and infographics. Thank you for listening, and we hope to see you again soon.